Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would get your Bibles open up to the book of Jude. Book of Jude. I'm going to try to move pretty quick through this. Um, there's parts of it I can move kind of quick through. Um, this Jude is half-brother to Jesus. He announces himself as brother of James. Um, a majority, a large majority of historians have agreed that this Jude is a half-brother of Jesus. Uh, there's also some historical um, evidence that Jude at one time had refused Jesus Christ's deity, um, as most of his siblings did. Uh, didn't accept him as who he said that he was, uh, but later became uh, not only a huge believer, but someone who was actually a staple in the in in the church. Um, as we know, James was actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> Jesus's brothers, who at first were very uh, cynical about Jesus and who he said that he was, both became big believers. In Jude, as we can see in these first two verses, before I give you too much background. Um, Actually, the first three verses. Let's read these first three verses, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, about a little bit more about verse three. We'll slow down. He says, "In uh, in Jude, verse one, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you, beloved. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So Judas's intention was to write to the churches, and he says that his intent was to write to them about the common salvation. Uh, we spent some time in this uh, in this passage of scripture not too long ago, but we're going to hopefully take a little deeper look at at uh, the implications of this book as we go. Uh, through it. Um, in verse 3, first three, uh, first two uh, verses are very common when it comes to the style of greeting that somebody would write. Um, verse 3, he points out specifically that he was making every effort to write to them about their common salvation. In other words, he wanted to write this letter addressing um, salvation in Jesus Christ, and that was the only thing his intent was to write about. Um, but he also says, I felt the necessity to write to you about uh, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. So he switched tracks from my intention was to write to you about salvation, but instead I feel that it's necessary, more necessary, to write to you about contending for the faith. So the time that Jude was written is no different than it is today. Um, Apostasy was something that was huge. Um, apostasy is is uh, all things contrary to Jesus Christ's purpose and plan, but very manipulative. By that I mean uh, we're going to see as we go through here that that uh, apostasy very much looks like Christianity if you're not paying close attention. Um, it's the same thing as as having something appraised. Um, I have an electric guitar that I've had. Uh, that I've had. I got it from uh, from my dad when he passed away, and this electric guitar is pretty old. 
Um, and I knew that it was old, and I knew that it probably had a little bit of value to it. I know at the time, at the time that the, this guitar was sold, it was only worth about a hundred, a hundred and fifty dollars, and and that's pretty much the gist of what I knew about it. I, I could look at, I could tell, <clears throat> I could tell it was an electric guitar. Uh, it looked like an electric guitar, had all the characteristics that you could tell of an electric guitar, but I didn't know what the value of that electric guitar was <clears throat> until I looked it up. And this electric guitar is worth like anywhere that people are giving anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for these electric guitars. <clears throat> That's of no value to me because I'm not planning on selling it. Um, but it is being restored. But it's being restored by somebody who knew what the real value of that guitar was. In in Christianity, we have a whole bunch of people in this world who claim to be Christians, and many people are accepted just on the fact that they're willing to state that they're a Christian. We had a Christian here not too long ago who took a passage of Scripture, twisted it, pulled it out of context, and had every intention of using it and would have absolutely done damage to the church had he been someone who pushed it the way that he was intended to. What's Christianity look like? How do you even appraise such a thing? Jesus Christ tells us we'll know them by their fruits, right? But how do we know what fruit is? To contend earnestly for the faith means to fight for it. Um, I'm not a boxer. You could put me in the ring with a lightweight boxer, and chances are that lightweight boxer is going to wipe the floor with me. You know why? Because they're a boxer and I'm not. And I can't be a contender in something that I, that I am not aware of uh, the way to do it. As Christians... This is a huge encouragement for us as individuals to know that in order for us to even be able to see apostasy, we must first know what Christianity really looks like, not just what it's called. What Christianity really looks like is taught to us in 66 books, 27 in the New Testament under the New Covenant, 27 books in the New Testament. The Bible is the only thing that gives us the ability to be able to look at individuals, and to be able to determine whether those individuals are trustworthy or not. Trust Trustworthy with what? Well, trustworthy with a lot of things, but more than anything else, trustworthy with my heart. Trustworthy with my soul. Trustworthy with my spirit. Trustworthy to the extent of, can I listen to this individual and believe that that individual is going to tell me the truth? Not something that is selfish and not something that's going to accomplish something that only they want to see accomplished. Don't think that every person who calls themselves a Christian has your best interest at heart. Because the fact is they don't. The number's sliding. We're down to about 80% of the people in the United States believe in God. 80%. Do we live in a world that Looks like 80% of the people in this country believe in God. Uh Uh-uh. Just because they say they believe in God doesn't mean that they trust in him. Just because somebody calls themselves a Christian doesn't make them one. It's not about what they say they are. It's about who they are. I've had a couple of people come and ask me about deacons. They're like, what does the Bible mean by let them be tested? It means that everybody in the church is watching individuals and seeing if those individuals have character, if they have 
the qualities and the characters of an individual that line up with the Bible. It's not put them in a room with a piece of paper and a number two pencil. Let them be tested means hold scripture up next to the individual to make sure that as much as a person possibly can, that they align with it. Because the truth is, apostasy is out there. It's after you. And more importantly, it's after your children. Is it winning in the war, war against our kids? It is. God has been stripped from most of the cultural appropriation that we see today. He's been stripped from it. Our kids are being taught by things they even watch, things that they hear. They're being taught that God makes mistakes. What else could it mean for someone to be a boy, but then say that they were supposed to be a girl? God made a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes, but that's what they're teaching them. That's what their friends are teaching them. That's what the things they, they watch are teaching them. How many of you spend any time at all on Facebook? I'm going to say this with the understanding that I spend quite a bit of time in Facebook, but I will also say that the amount of time I spend in Facebook, I know that I'm sending that I'm spending time in the garden of hell. Cuz it is busy it is being used thousands of ways for apostate purposes. Everything around us is trying to rewire us. Everything around us is trying to get us to give up on God. Everything around us is trying to teach us things that are contrary to God's word. And the only way that we recognize the things that are being told to us is if we actually have the truth to compare it to. So you want to be a contender? Do you want to be someone who has the ability to contend for the faith? Don't think that you can step in the ring without any training and you can beat a seasoned boxer. Because Satan, he knows what he's doing. Those people who are doing his bidding, they know what they're doing. They don't even have to know anything for them to be convinced of the things that they're convinced of. But we have to know what it is that God has established in order for us to be individuals who recognize it and to have the ability to fight it. Verse 4 says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who are long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons, who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Those individuals who say, and I went through that phase in my life where it was at least a, a, a fleeting thought, it's not that big of a deal for me to do something that's wrong, right? I mean, I can apologize afterwards. It'll all be good. I mean, grace... And I have to tell you that when that thing crossed my mind, I had to question my own salvation. Because even though Christians may ponder that type of thing, Christians are not individuals who use the grace of God for an excuse to sin. Christians don't use the grace of God for a reason to go out and do things that are self-satisfying. That's what licentiousness is. Things that are selfish, things that are greedy, things that benefit only the individual. These individuals that says crept in unnoticed, how do you suppose they crept in unnoticed? One, 
people aren't paying attention. They're not, they're not, that, that idea of accountability is not being applied. The idea of accountability where we as Christians, we are our brother's keeper. We see our brothers or our sisters say something or do something they shouldn't say or do. We don't have to be mean. I'm, a matter of fact, I'm discouraging that. But we should be individuals that if we need to approach a brother or a sister about something that they're doing wrong, we shouldn't be afraid to do that. Historically, that is Baptist doctrine. Don't rock the boat. You heard me say that a week or two ago, right? Don't, don't rock the boat theology is as anti-biblical as anything I've ever seen. I hear people say all the time, well, I don't like confrontation. Well, then don't be confrontational. There's a difference between holding someone accountable and being confrontational. It shouldn't be confrontational. You are family to me. I am family to you. I really care about you. If you really care about me, then we're going to understand what the benefit of being each other's accountability partners, what that really means. And we should be able to come to one another and in as nice and Christian way as we can yank a knot in each other's tail. Because the fact is this, folks. As long as we're human beings, we have the Holy Spirit that's within us, and the Holy Spirit will always be the will always be the counterbalance to our natural fallen nature. But never let down your guard, because your natural fallen nature will never ever leave you till the day you die. You'll keep it. You'll carry it. You know it. You've lived the struggle. You've seen the conflict in your very own life, in the choices that are made, in the decisions that we make, in the, the way we approach things. We realize when we've done things that are wrong and wish that we'd done them differently. And we realize when we catch ourselves right in the midst of that conflict. Don't think that the mentality that tries to justify sin is something that we created. It's been going on since the beginning of time. Apostasy. Verse 5, now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who do not believe. Angels who did not keep their own dominion, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them, since they, in the same way as, the, as, as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same manner, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he dis disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I had a good friend of mine that attended this church, and some of you may actually uh, remember him, Michael Frazier. 
Michael Frazier had degenerative disc disease and uh, it, he just hurt all the time. And in his uh, Southern fun type of mentality, I had said to him one day, he was sitting in the office, I said, don't you dare tempt Satan. And he said, Satan, bring it. Wasn't that long after that that he died on the table. Back surgery. Something that's as common as just about any surgery. Something that they'd done many, many times before, but this one cost him his life. Is it smart to tell Satan to bring it? Never. Is it smart to think that you have the power over demons? Never. In every case that you find in the Bible, who is it that's invoked at the confrontation of Satan or a demon? Christ. Christ. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because he disobeyed God. He died on a mountaintop. All the rest of the nation of Israel had gone into the promised land. Moses, having no one else around him at the time, died and likely just laid on top of that mountain. What value could the body of Moses have been to Satan? Well, we know he had some value because he was there. I promise you this. Satan intended to use it in some way against the nation of Israel. He could have made Moses an idol. He could have used Moses in many ways to actually be a negative in the nation of Israel. So what did God do? He sent his archangel after the body too. Both of them showed up there at the same time. Even Michael didn't challenge Satan. Could he beat him? Maybe. But Michael didn't even mess with him. He left him right where he should have. Picked up the body of Moses. He said, the Lord curse you. And walked away. I'm going to ask you this question. Just how much Jesus do you have? You say, well, wait a minute. I've always been told that once I place my trust in Jesus Christ, I have as much Jesus as I can possibly get. And I want to say this because it's theologically sound. Although the fullness of Christ is extended to us, we choose how much of him to accept. How many of us have areas in our life where we've forbidden Jesus to go? 
those areas where the Holy Spirit has convicted us, but we've still come out of it choosing to do what we want to do. The Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Don't hear me wrong. You do not worship the pages in this book. You do not worship the coverings in this book. You do not worship the English on, on or the ink on the pages. But the very sense of every word that God has breathed to us is Christ. The fullness of Christ. The more we know, the more of Jesus we have. The more we open ourselves up to God's word the more of Jesus that we have. The fact is, the world is crawling with Christians who are on a quarter of a tank. Maybe some who are on a half a tank. If you're driving across the desert and you had no idea where the next gas station was, where would you want your tank before you went into it? Do you know what dry and desolate experience you may have tomorrow? Or next week? Or a month from now? How much Jesus do you suppose it takes to get Satan to leave you alone? Verse 10, but these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning, uh, unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have gone, rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. You know what every one of these things have in common? Cain had a problem with, God, with God's standard. Balaam, you remember that story, Balaam and Balak, the talking donkey? Balaam was looking to get rich by doing something that was bad to God's people, which in turn would have brought God's judgment down on his people. Korah, individuals who made items and led astray intentionally the people of Israel so that they could satisfy their own selfish desire for power and influence. Verse 12, these are men who, have hidden, who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars from whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. If you look at each one of these qualities, and I'm not going to get through all of this, folks, but I do want to get through this part. Here's how you pick out an apostate. They never carry 
the qualities and characteristics that will lead to the glory of Jesus Christ, to the fulfillment of his plan and his purpose. Everything they teach. The first thing that it mentions says there are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Fellowships. Hidden reefs in your fellowships. What can a reef potentially do to a boat? If all of a sudden you're, you're sailing along and then you don't see a reef anywhere, but all of a sudden a reef pops up. In other words, a love feast, everything's going fine, everybody's doing good, everything's great. Until all of a sudden the hull of your boat hits a reef. And they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water. How many of you have gardens, flowers, farms? Is it enough for a great big thundercloud to show up but never produce rain? In other words, these individuals look like something that's productive, but when it comes to them actually doing something that extends the kingdom, the stuff they do is useless. Autumn trees without fruit. Useless, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. How many of you guys have seen the pictures of the, the, uh, the beachfronts in Mexico and the water is so clear that you can see the floor of the ocean? But you go to another part of the world and you see the garbage, the trash the junk that it pukes up. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. How many of you guys have seen a wandering star? How many of you have seen a falling star? A shooting star? Whatever you want to call it. Ever seen them? Pretty, ain't they? For how long? You know, one of the most difficult things, I don't know if many of you have seen the picture I posted on Facebook of the little girl that was riding our daddy's shoulders. And it said, if they only knew, it's our job to make sure that they never do. Little girl was riding our daddy's shoulders and he was wading in water up to his waist and there were sharks all around his waist. I believe that many Christians who walk through this world go day to day, one thing on the schedule to the next, and we tend to forget that there is a very real adversary out there trying to get to you, trying to get to your kids, hitting pressure points that hurt, hitting nerves that cause reactions, appealing to our selfish nature and our fallen nature. How many of you parents, did the point come in your life where the dread hit you that your kids were about to be turned out into the real world? 
get their driver's license. See them pull out of the driveway the first time. If we're being honest, these are some of the most frightening thoughts that ever crossed a parent's mind. And I tell my kids all the time, you're going to go out into the world and the world's going to kick you right in the head with both feet. And I can speak that with assurance because that's what the world does. Right? The question is, do we see Satan in it? Do we see the ways that he's manipulating? Do we see the ways that he manipulates people? And these people, if you read on in this passage of Scripture, and I may, I may finish this up next week, kind of feel like I may need to. If you read on in this passage of Scripture, it goes on to tell us about all of the dangers that these individuals pose to us. But then it also goes on to say that we have to have to have compassion and mercy. In other words, in the midst of all this, we have to continue to be the people that Jesus Christ has called us to be. We have to be the answer in response to the question. We have to be the purpose in the place of the need. We can only protect ourselves and our loved ones by knowing the word of God. And we can only fulfill the word of God by carrying out his purpose and his plan. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.